With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Miami has a Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, And that is right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Finsider Radio. I am MC Money, and we have the crew back together tonight. All three of us, Sutton, the creepy soccer dad, Houtsua, and we are here coming off a huge Super Bowl win against the New England Patriots. At least that's what it seems like after the 27-20 to 20 victory on a Monday night football, the third highest rated Monday night football game this season. And it always seems, and, and it always seems like, boys, week 15, week 14, NFL, Miami Dolphins always playing the Patriots towards the end of this end of the season. It's always like that's our Super Bowl, right? And for once, for once, this game was not the Dolphins Super Bowl. It was a chance for them to stay alive in the playoff hunt. It was a chance for them to continue their season to hold on to the small piece of thread they're still holding on to. And they beat up the Patriots in dominating fashion. The score the, the win by seven points does not tell the whole story. And, and ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tonight we have a bar table conversation. We have no script. We have no outline. We are going to talk about anything and everything that comes up. And we know we were uh, supposed to go live a little while ago. Blanc Talk Radio was having technical difficulties. It is still having technical difficulties. We're switching gears going on Google Hangouts here. Unfortunately, you still cannot call in. Um. But please use the Finsider.com radio live thread, and we will get to your questions there and also tweet at us because we can certainly use more followers because that's how our wives judge us based on how many followers we have. But Sutton and Houts, we're all watching the game on Monday night. Bring us your feelings. Bring us your thoughts. What were you doing? How were you reacting? Houts, what do you got? All right. Well, I just want to say that 
if we're putting this into a perspective that these fans can understand, uh, Blog Talk Radio is essentially Xavier Howard, and we are Brandon Cooks. We're trying to get in there. They just keep freaking shutting us down. That is that is beautiful how it's There's that no is way for us house. to get in there, and it it sucks in this situation, but it was awesome to see Xavier Howard absolutely ball out. I know a few weeks ago we were sitting there talking about him possibly being a bust. I know people were all over our asses on Twitter, but uh, it was nice to see him step up, and it was just nice overall. I mean, all day long all I kept thinking about was the Dolphins and those uniforms. That logo, those uniforms, those those are beautiful. That brings me back to my childhood. I'd like to see him go to those full time. But but then to see him come out and just shit stomp the Patriots, it, it was something that, I mean, deep down, we all as fans, we wanted to see that happen. We thought maybe it could. And, and then to see it all transform right in front of our eyes, see Kenny and Drake have the game he did. Jake Cutler outperformed Tom Brady. The defense played lights out. I mean, it was everything you could have asked for. And it, the biggest thing here is the Dolphins are still alive. I know it's crazy to think. I know this was that game we had to win in order for all of us to say, okay, maybe we do have a chance to still sneak this out. But the Dolphins beat the Patriots. They dominate the Patriots. We saw Adam Gase play calling. It looked like what we always expected Adam Gase to do. And overall, it was just a, a great team performance. And I, I just can't believe it happened. And I'm, I'm just excited. What about you, son? Great. Great comment about the throwbacks, man. I love those throwback unis, and we always seem to play well in those uniforms, so why not just wear them all the time? But a few strange things happened in that game. Hey, we got out to a lead in the first quarter. Could you guys believe that? We got off to a 6 to nothing lead against the Patriots, and I, that blew my mind because we've talked about all year on Finside Radio how poor of a first quarter, first half team we've been. To get out to a lead like that, to be able to establish the run game, to get some different players involved. And then on the flip side of that, in the fourth quarter, the offense struggles a little bit. And then you see that defense actually finish a game out. And they were getting after Tom Brady. They were doing some creative things, both with uh, just rushing four, but then they had some creative blitz packages there that, was able to just ruffle enough feathers on Tom Brady to make him a little bit more hesitant in this game. And it was just a complete team effort, and it was great to see all three phases of the game working out again for the Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, of course, again, beating the New England Patriots 27-20, keeping their playoff hopes alive. The Dolphins don't have a winning record right now. They're 6-7, and seven, but their playoff hopes are very much alive. They basically control their own destiny, okay? If they win out, if they beat Buffalo, Kansas City and Buffalo, which is – not highly unlikely. I mean, Buffalo is struggling, right? Okay, I know it's a division rival. They're struggling. We have them at home the week 17. You go to Kansas City, who's also struggling. That's going to be the toughest game of those three. If the Dolphins win out, they're 9-7. and seven. The Tennessee Titans have to lose two more games. But look who their opponents are. They got the 49ers this Sunday. They got the Rams, and they got the Jaguars. I guarantee you they're probably going to lose to the Rams and Jaguars. The Jaguars could be fighting for that number two seed towards the end of the season there in week 17. The Rams are a very good team. They're going to be fighting for home field advantage in week 16. And the 49ers are trending up. And Marcus Mariota's hamstring is a little hurting right now. And the Titans are trending down. The Miami Dolphins have a very good shot to make the playoffs. They just control their own destiny right now. The Miami is 15-9 and nine in its past 24 regular season games. They're now 4-2 and two at Hard Rock Stadium. So the home field advantage definitely uh, 
creeping in for Miami. This is Adam Gase's on Monday night, 10th win in the 14 games he has coached at Hard Rock Stadium since becoming the head coach in 2016. The Dolphins, continuing his home field advantage theme, have won 11 of their past 15 games at Hard Rock Stadium, its best mark at the venue since they went 14-4 and in an 18-game stretch from December 2nd, 2001 to November 23rd, 2003. I was in high school at that time. New England came into this game on Monday night with an eight-game winning streak. Dolphins snapped it. They also had a 14-game winning streak in road games. Dolphins snapped it. And here's a very impressive note. The Miami Dolphins have now defeated both Super Bowl participants from last season. They defeated the Falcons in Week 6. The only season the Dolphins have done this in was 1993, when they beat the defending AFC champion Buffalo Bills on September 26th and the Super Bowl champion Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving that year. The Dolphins, going into the fourth quarter, were up by 17 points. It was New England's largest deficit in a game since they trailed by 25 points in last year's Super Bowl versus Atlanta. Now, all of that goes just to show you what Matt Burke deserves to be praised for in this game. You recall two weeks ago against the Patriots, they got romped. The defense looked atrocious. The defense wasn't doing anything right. Plenty of miscommunication, plenty of breakdowns, plenty of penalties. It was an absolute disaster. I said on Finnsider Radio last week, House and Sutton, that the only way that Matt Burke will be evaluated for me on this season was how he responded against the Patriots just two weeks later, or one week later. Yeah, two weeks later, basically. And he did one hell of a job. And he deserves a ton of credit. The Dolphins' defense held the Patriots to just 20 points and 248 total yards on Monday night. It was just the second time this season the Patriots have been held to less than 21 points. This was 19 at Tampa Bay on October 5th, 2017. New England's 248 total yards were their lowest output since January 3rd, 2016, also in Miami, when they gained 196 yards including playoff contests, that is a span of 34 games. Continuing Burke's great game plan and the Dolphins' defense and their dominance against the Patriots, they held the Patriots to zero, zero third-down conversions after New England went 0 for 11 on third down. In percentage terms, that is 0.0%. It is the first time in the Bill Belichick era a New England offense was held without a third-down conversion. Let me repeat that again. It is the first time in the Bill Belichick era a New England offense was held without a third-down conversion. The last time they did not have a third-down conversion, September 29th, 1991. This is just the fourth time since 91. The Dolphins have not given up a third-down conversion in the game. The only time, the only three other occurrences were in 2005, 2011, And again, in 2011, both in 2011 versus Buffalo. Now, when you look at consistency over the past two games, the Dolphins have held their opponents to one of 24 on third down. That is impressive. One of 24 on third down. The Broncos were one of 13 last week. The Dolphins held the Patriots to zero points in just two total yards in the first quarter. It is the fourth fewest yards gained by New England in the first quarter of a game in their franchise history, and the fewest since 1996 against the Jets on November 10th. It is the fewest first quarter yards allowed by the Dolphins since they limited Houston at zero in the first quarter in 2015. Now, Sutton, what does that say about the Dolphins' defense? Are they finally on the right track? Are things clicking for Matt Burke? And can we expect this dominant defense to continue these last three weeks of the season? 
It's a great question. I, I don't know. But I think the real question is, though, we didn't have Cordray Tankersley in that game. So what ceiling do we have with Tankersley playing at a high level in that secondary, too? Now, not to take anything away from Altron Werner, because I thought he had a great game Monday night. But if we have those two young stud cornerbacks playing at a high level like that, Xavier Howard on one end and Tankersley on the other, if we're having both those guys function at a high level, man, this this defense can do well because then you have the secondary pass rush interplay that's so important in the NFL. When you have that working, the defensive line getting to Brady with, with a pass rush of four, which I think is an important hallmark going forward into these last three games that needs to take over it's still the strength of this team so we need to get as much production out of them as possible now what you were mentioning earlier MC Money was Burke being able to make adjustments that was huge for us to see as fans and let me say why because last year so now we went four and two in the division but we were zero and two against the Patriots this year we were able to split with them. Obviously, we're 2-2 two and two so far. We still have the two games left to go with Buffalo. But to be able to out-coach and out-scheme Bill Belichick in a game, that's an important crux for us. And you saw some of the confused looks that Matt Patricia was given on the sideline as well. Early in the game, we had a good flow going. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk way more about the offense as we get through the show. But it was just so nice to have that balance, to be able to have the offense make good plays and then to follow up the next drive with the defense making some good plays. And it was refreshing because we haven't seen interdependent football in a while here in Miami. So, and your thoughts, I know we're going to get to Xavier Howard. You went a little viral. You got a little famous there with your Xavier Howard tweet. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little, little bit. But your overall you know, feel of the defense in Matt Burke there against the Patriots on Monday night, and can they sustain it? Well, if anyone here knows Matt Burke, it's, it's me, Johnny Nobles. Um, For me, I'm not sure if we can sustain it, but I, I do question where the hell it's been all year. I mean, the Dolphins, this defense has, I won't say held this team back. I mean, early in the year they were playing great, and then it kind of skipped it away to the, the Dolphins of old. But that game that they played on Monday night, it was just a thing of beauty. I mean, Belichick, he just looked outcoached. He had no idea. He had nothing that he could – due to counter what the Dolphins were throwing at him. And you saw the secondary, like Sutton said, we didn't have Tankersley out there. So this defense, that secondary in particular, is just going to get better throughout these next few games. And uh, it was a real refreshing to see what Burke did. I, I like the way Kiko Alonso played. We got a, we had a pass rush, and that's something we haven't seen for a few weeks. Uh, and overall, I mean, it was just everything you could expect from this team uh, as a fan, but deep down, you just didn't think they had it in them. And I, I was sitting here before the game, and I was wondering what that whole throwback and the, the old logo does to a team. You know, when you go out there and the field's painted and you're wearing those sick-ass jerseys from the 1970s when this team was the, the stable perfection. And, I mean, it, you, as a player, you, you think that has to do something. And you got to go out there, and you're playing the Patriots. And, and those players, they believe that they could beat the Patriots. Uh, the coaching staff did, and, I mean – everything that we saw, I mean, I just keep, I don't want to be the negative one here, but I just keep thinking, where was it all year? I mean, Adam Gase, this is exactly the kind of coaching that we expected from him as soon as we hired him. And it just took so many weeks last season for him to really step up and become the 
the play caller he is. And then the same this week or this season and with Matt Burke in particular, uh, he was started out slow. Defense looked a little bit lost. I think they were playing man off. They uh, they were playing off coverage a lot. And then this game, they were just playing press man. Xavier Howard looked like the real deal shutdown corner that we all hoped he would be when we drafted him. And it was just – it's just great. I mean, people keep saying Gronk, if he was in there, things could be different. But I don't think that's the case. He was a dirty player. He took a dirty hit on the Bills' uh, defenseless corner, and that, and that's the way it goes. So he deserved to be suspended. Well- that wouldn't have changed anything. And for me, uh, the Dolphins just absolutely beat the shit out of the Patriots. All right, Xavier, Xavier Howard, Joshua Houts. Joshua Houts, can you read us your tweet of Xavier Howard that you put up the other day? Oh, damn it, dude. Why are you putting me on the spot? Okay, give me a second. All right, so Houts well, tweeted out. Yeah, to be fair, 71% of Earth's surface is covered by water. The other 29% is covered by Xavier Howard. I mean, how genius is that? We have a genius on our hand in Joshua House. Josh, where did you come up with that? I mean, how did you think of that? Did you copy it from someone? Did you get it off Reddit? Did you plagiarize? I'm pretty, sure. What, I'm pretty sure I saw I'm pretty sure I saw it about Darrell Revis like three or four years ago. And if I'm gonna be <laughs> honest if I'm gonna be honest, as soon as uh if you look through my tweets, I definitely tweeted the same damn thing about Byron Maxwell last year. And it did not get nearly <laughs> it did not get nearly so I literally went and copy and pasted that Changed Xavier Howard and then just got a sweet picture of him. So, I mean, it, nice. it was a good tweet. I try to do something before I go to work because I'm irrelevant throughout the day. So, I was like, this might be a good tweet. <laughs> so, Xavier Howard, for those who may have not watched the game, and I don't know, you know how can he not watch the game if you call yourself a Dolphins fan, he picked up right where he left off after his career game against Denver, picking off Tom Brady on New England's first offensive series. He added another interception on New England's first possession of the second half. Howard is the first cornerback in Dolphins history to have multiple interceptions in consecutive games. The interceptions were Howard's third and fourth in his past two games after he did not have an interception in the first 18 regular season games of his career. Where did this come from? I mean, I'm on this show. You're on this show. Everyone's on this show. We got Ryan Smith from PFF, Pro Football Focus, on this show. We're all saying Xavier Howard's a bust. We're getting killed for it on Twitter by half of our followers. The other half is agreeing with us. And all of a sudden, it clicks for Xavier Howard. And I was huge on the Xavier Howard as a bus train. I, I was saying, oh, he's a bust. Give up on him. Get rid of him after the season or delegate him to the third cornerback position. I, I didn't see anything in him anymore. And then all of a sudden, it clicks. Just like it clicked for Jay Ajayi last year, about four or five weeks into the season. Xavier Howard's is this year's version of JHI, but on the defensive side of the ball. Against the Broncos, people said, oh, it's Trevor Simeon. Oh, it's the Broncos' offense. Of course the cornerback is going to have a good game. But then Tom Brady. Some will say, although he's a Patriot and it hurts to say this, the greatest quarterback in NFL history besides Dan Marino. And Howard picks him off twice. And not just against a crappy receiver, against Brandon Cooks, who's been on fire the last few weeks. So Xavier Howard, if he can keep this up, and the Buffalo Bills wide receivers do not present much of a problem for the Dolphins secondary. If he can keep this up, he is going to be in the discussion with the top cornerbacks in the NFL, already picking up AFC Defensive Player of the Week honors. Houts, I I know you were also on that Xavier Howard is a bus train. I mean, has he... What is going on with Howard the past few weeks? All right. Well, first, let's start with before this season started. I think we were on here, and I got laughed at for saying Xavier Howard was the best quarterback on our roster. 
Uh, I did. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of attacked you for that, right? Yeah, I did then see the way he played, and I think we were all kind of, except for Sutton, who he's very optimistic and and likes to see the good in people. But he thought Xavier Howard was not trending towards a bust. But I mean, all signs pointed to it. It doesn't make you less of a fan to have thought that prior to this, these last few games, that Xavier Howard isn't living up to the expectations of a second round pick. But I mean, what we saw in these last two weeks. Uh, it's just incredible. I mean, it's a complete transformation. I, I don't know if it's because Miami's playing more press coverage and it just kind of suits Xavier Howard's game more. But, I mean, he completely wiped out Brandon Cooks. And you know the Patriots, they gave up a pretty hefty pick for Brandon Cooks to completely transform that offense. And you go out there in a game where they can clinch the division, I know it's still going to happen. The Patriots are still going to win the AFC East, unfortunately. But Xavier Howard turned Brandon Cooks into a ghost. He made him completely... Uh, he completely shut him down, and he, he he did nothing. And you just saw some of those picks Xavier Howard had. The first, it looked like he ran the route better than Cooks. And then that one over the shoulder grab he had, I mean, Xavier Howard was balling, and that's exactly what we needed out of him. I'm I'm not sure if it's going to continue to to play out this way, but, I mean, he's a second-year player. He, he had injury issues in his rookie season, and what we see now, I, I just hope that's what we see in the future because, as Sutton alluded to earlier, Kadrea Tankersley wasn't in there this week. We still have Bobby McCain who's playing lights out. Tony Lippett's coming yes, back. Yes, Bobby season. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, this secondary, you got you got freaking Howard, you got McCain, you got Tankersley, you got Lippett, you got Jones, you got McDonald. I mean, that's a pretty awesome secondary if everyone can stay healthy. So, I mean, based on what we saw this week, it, it gives you reason to be excited whether or not the Dolphins make the playoffs this year or not. I mean, they're building for the future, and Xavier Howard are pretty damn good on Monday. Yeah, so let's take a look at the overall secondary now. You got Tankersley on the other side opposite Howard. You got Bobby McCain, like Couch just said, playing lights out. You got Alteron Werner, who actually played pretty well against the Patriots. And for me, uh, you know, I kind of think that Werner was the better play there than Tankersley against Tom Brady. I mean, Werner is an experienced veteran. He's played against Brady many times in his career. He kind of knows what Brady's thinking. So for me, I kind of thought that may have been a blessing in disguise there. Um, Tankersley's still young, still raw, trying to get – to where he needs to be. So maybe Werner there, you know, could have won the game. But let's take an overall look. You know, you got TJ McDonald, Rashad Jones. I'm going to throw a question out there. Uh, for someone from Twitter, JT Seymour at JT's Burgers, he asked a very tough question. If you would rather have Cordrea Tankersley, Xavier Howard, or Kenyon Drake, you can only pick one, who would it be and why? For me, I mean, that's, that's a tough one, man. I, I like what Tankersley's done, but it's still his rookie year. Uh, damn. I, I think I'd – I mean, I was high on Xavier Howard before the season. I, I got shit on for saying he was our best corner. Uh, I'm going to go with Xavier Howard based off of what I saw on Monday night the prior week, and it just seems like he's starting to get it all together. So I'm going to believe that this is the real deal, and this is a guy that we can uh, build a secondary on for years to come. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, running backs are a diamond dozen, and as much as I'm starting to really like Kenyon Drake – uh, he's not the only guy who out there can do that. Cornerbacks are very hard to find, and elite quarterbacks are hard to find. And I don't want to throw around that term elite loosely. Uh, Xavier Howard is not elite yet. He needs to string together uh, games and almost the entire season of being a shutdown cornerback before he can be, even be considered an elite cornerback. I do like Tankersley. Jeez. Um, God, this is hard, but I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to go with Xavier because I'm going to be like you. I'm going to I'm going to say this is not a coincidence. This is not a fluke, and I think it is finally clicking for him. I can't believe I just said that. Just cancel the show right now. Someone else 
Someone, so speaking, oh my God, speaking of Kenyon Drake, though, I just said he's a diamond dozen, and I've been going through some film on some running back prospects of the college football, and I'm going to be, you know, revealing those results at the end of the season as we go into draft season. But Kenyon Drake, another phenomenal game, rushed for 100 yards in the second straight week, the first two 100-guard games of his career, total 25 carries for 114 yards, 4.6 yards per carry, and added five receptions for 79 yards, a 15.8 average, and including that long uh, catch down the sideline where if he hadn't tripped, he probably would have scored a touchdown. Drake is the first Dolphins player to lead the team in both rushing and receiving in a game since Arian Foster did so last year in the home on the season opener against the Seahawks. Drake, 79 receiving yards are the most by a Dolphins running back since Lamar Miller had 97 at Buffalo in 2015. Now, the last time the Dolphins had a 100-yard rusher in back-to-back games, J.H.I. when he did three straight uh, last season from October 16th to November 6th. Drake became just the third Dolphins player to record 100-plus rushing yards and 75-plus receiving yards in a game, joining Troy Stafford at Dallas in 1987 and Ronnie Brown against the Jets in 2007. Now a question we got from one of our Twitter followers. It's Blaine asks, Drake continues his production the rest of the year. Is he RB1 for Miami in 2018? Now how the question continues there, and it's Blaine, continues to ask, would Gase have given Drake this opportunity regardless of the Damian Williams injury, or was it just by default? Yeah, I'd like to say that Gase would have, but, I mean, based on what we saw, he was splitting carries there. Damian Williams seemed to be the lead back each week and seemed to be the guy that he favored and had trust in, so I'm not sure we would have. I mean, you saw the same thing with the Jai. I know people are kind of down on him after that trade, but I still think he was the better running back last year, but they still put Foster in there, and he started the season. So I, I want to say that, the way Adam Gase goes, it just seems like he goes with whoever's doing best in practice, whoever picks up the playbook the quickest. And, I mean, for me, we all see what Kenny Drake's doing now. You kind of wonder why even when Ajayi was there, he wasn't getting carries or, or getting looks in the passing game. So it's questionable. I don't think if Damian Williams was still healthy that Kenny Drake would be getting the carries he is. But it's definitely it's definitely uh, something that we'd love to see more of. And I do think he can be a featured back. But that's something said. I think uh, you definitely draft a running back because this is a two-back league. and. Uh, it's only one play before uh, Drake gets hurt and we next man up. Yeah, I do. I do uh, hope that Damian Williams comes back quickly. Uh, hopefully he can play starting Sunday. I know he's dealing with some injuries there. Uh, just because the rotation there, to keep the guys fresh, to keep Drake fresh, and we all really held our breath when Drake went down against the Patriots. It looked like he had ended up getting the wind knocked out of him. But, man, if he had went down, the Dolphins were down to center East Perry. But also I'm looking at, at this, guys, and I'm starting to wonder, Adam Gase is known as a quarterback whisperer, but is he also a running back whisperer? I mean, you look at his time in Denver, C.J. Anderson, Sean Moreno, those guys, Matt Forte in Chicago, Jordan Howard a little bit in Chicago, comes to Miami, Jay Ajayi, you know, great running back during uh, the 2016 season. And now Kenyon Drake and even Damian Williams showing some flashes. I mean, is it Adam Gase's system or are, are these, you know, really talented running backs that Gase just has a great eye for? I think we need to watch that as we go on here. Because if Perry had gotten into that game and all of a sudden he starts thrashing guys left and right, then the question still remains, but it leans a little more towards, well, Adam Gase might be a running back whisperer as well. It's an interesting theory and an interesting thought process to have there. Kenyon Drake should have some good games the next three weeks. The Buffalo Bills have allowed 123.7 rushing yards per game. Now, the last three, they've allowed 136.3 
Last week, they allowed 163 yards on the ground. Of course, it was snowing. At home, they've allowed 132 rushing yards per game away. They've allowed 114. And this is compared to 2016, where they allowed 133.1 per game. Of course, different coaching staff. Kansas City, on the flip end of that, even worse than Buffalo, 124.8 rushing yards per game. Last three, 110.3. That's a little better than Buffalo. Last one was only 70. But home, they've allowed 127.2 yards per game. Away, they've allowed 122.9 compared to last year, 124.1, which that is important because it's the same coaching staff and it's the same number, 124.8 versus 124.1. So you know the Dolphins are going to have success on the ground over the next three weeks of the season. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Now, against, you know, looking at what you would need to do on the ground. We then switched to what we need to do in the air. And we talked about Devontae Parker a little bit with Cochran and he's, I think he's on his way out of Miami at the end of the season, as we head into the draft and and as they go into there, but one guy who needs to get paid is Jarvis Landry. He totaled eight receptions for 46 yards, 5.8 average and two touchdowns on a Monday night football. The touchdowns were the seventh and eighth of the season, extending his career high. He's the only player to catch at least five passes in all 13 games this season. Again, pay the man. He extended his NFL record for most receptions in the first four years of a career, and now has 376 of them. With 88 receptions this season, Landry's single season total is now the fourth best in Dolphins history. He owns the two top two spots with 110 catches in 2015 and 94 receptions in 2016. His 88 receptions are tied for second in the NFL this year, and his eight touchdowns are tied for fifth. With that touchdown catch on Monday night, Landry reached a 20-career touchdown plateau. Houts, you and I both sat on this show weeks ago, and we said we can understand if the Dolphins move on. Now we're both saying pay the man. How has your thought process changed? Yeah, I think at that point we thought Devontae Parker might still amount to something. And, I mean, at the end of the day, I think – for both of us, it, it all came down to numbers, and it came down to him asking for that Antonio Brown kind of cash, and it, it was hard because Jarvis Landry's probably my favorite player. He he was definitely up there with the guy who everyone knows that a man crush on, but Jarvis Landry, I mean, you just wish your whole team, you had a whole 53-man roster that consists of Jarvis Landry's, and you just see what he's done over this course of this season. I mean, coming in, everyone said he was nothing more than a slot receiver, uh, didn't score touchdowns, and he's kind of put all that to rest. He He's a he does it all. He he's a can make plays as a blocker. He can catch those screens that we run so often. He comes out of the backfield. I mean, he, he's just everything you want a football player. And in my opinion, he's going to go down as one of the greatest Dolphin wide receivers of all time. So in, for me, you see what Devontae Parker's doing, a whole lot of nothing. You got Kenny Stills there. I'd build upon that core, and, and I'd give Jarvis Landry a hefty contract and make him one of the Dolphins' highest-paid players because he's a leader, he's still young, and he's only going to continue to get better. So uh, I'm all aboard. Give Jarvis Landry what he asked for. Now, how it's, we talked about Jarvis Landry, who was drafted by uh, the Silver Fox, Dennis Hickey, and Mike Tannenbaum. We were seeing Dennis Hickey that year. And we talked about Kenyon Drake, who was drafted by Adam Gase, who went deep into his connections with uh, Nick Saban at Alabama to really figure out who Kenyon Drake was and what he was all about. We talked about Xavier Howard, who was drafted last year by Chris Greer and Adam Gase and Mike Tannenbaum. Jordan Phillips drafted by Mike Tannenbaum. And Chris Greer was a part of that scouting department. Remember the story of Mike Tannenbaum overruling Dennis Hickey. Hickey wanted Amir Abdullah. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum said, no, we're going to draft Jordan Phillips. Laramie Tunsil drafted by Adam Gase. 
Chris Jensen on the Finsider Radio Mailbag asks, do you still think the combo of Greer and Tannenbaum are not getting the job done, or do us as fans need to learn how to have more patience? Houts, what do you think? I it, That's a tough one, man, because it all comes down to, to what we see in that room. I mean, we it's all hearsay, really. I mean, Mike Tannenbaum, yeah. he's a guy that we kind of all want to throw under the bus just based on the way he crippled that New York Jets team. I mean, they made the two AFC championship games, and then after that, it was just salary cap hell. So, I mean, we sit here and we say Chris Greer, I mean, he – we, we think that he did a great job. We, we like what he did when, as he was here with Miami. Kenyon Drake, that's a guy that you admittedly said that Adam Gase handpicked. So, I mean, it's, it's hard for us as fans to sit on the outside and say this guy picked him and so-and-so picked him. So, it's hard to say. Basically, the way these rookies are hitting, the way this, this draft class looks and, and some of the previous ones, it's it's hard to throw Tannenbaum aside. I mean, I know he wanted to be the scapegoat. I personally want to throw him and cast him away as soon as he was hired by the Dolphins. But uh, you don't fix what isn't broken. Is that is that how it goes? You don't. Yeah, you don't fix what isn't broken. And for me, <laughs> for me, I think with the way the Dolphins have hit on rookies lately, uh, you just see these players continue to emerge, and th- that's what you want out of these young guys. I think I, I don't remember what it was. If you hit on three draft picks. It, a year or something like that, it, it's considered a success. Yep. And Miami's done far better than that over these last few years. And whether or not it's Tannenbaum, Greer, Gase, uh, whatever they're doing, it seems to be working. So I'd ride or die, at least for next season, with the way things are. Yeah, no, you're right. It is a tough question because winning changes a lot of things and a lot of thoughts. And you really got to look past that winning and really look at the analysis of it. And from what I've heard the past few weeks of talking to people within the organization, Mike Tannenbaum's really – uh, the manager of things. He makes sure everything is organized. He handles the video, the graphics, the creative department, all, all the stuff on the football side of things. That's Mike Tannenbaum's. And Chris Greer is really the guy focusing on the scouting. So I think this is starting to come into focus more where Greer is really the man pulling the strings. Tannenbaum, of course, helps him out there. But Tannenbaum is more so the guy overseeing the entire football department, whereas Greer is focusing straight on scouting. Uh, Greer is not strong in the overall management. And a lot of people don't understand that a general manager usually oversees the entire football operations. And it's not just plain scouting. That's their primary job, but it's not just that. So the Dolphins set it up in a way where Tannenbaum can run the football operations while Greer focuses solely on scouting. Now going back to Kenny Drake again and again and again, uh, one guy he runs behind is Mike Pouncey, who's really struggled in run blocking this year, but has excelled in pass blocking. B. Bickley on the Finsider Radio Mailbag asks, is there any chance we see Miami try to move Mike Pouncey to guard next season and draft or sign someone else to play center? So if the Dolphins move on from Mike Pouncey uh, this coming off season, they'll have $2 million in dead money and $7 million in cap savings. Uh, I know Adam Gase loves Mike Pouncey. He's still excelling in pass protection. I think he's rated top five centers in the league in pass protection. I think that was a stat I saw from PFF. I could be wrong there, but, uh, um, you know, I, I think it might be time to figure out how to move on from Mike Pouncey. I, I do think moving him to guard is a possibility. You know, Jesse Davis looks to be playing well. He could fill one of the other guard slots or heck even play right tackle. If you move on from Juwan James, but that might make it more holes than he needs to. So we'll have to see what the dolphins do. I know Adam Gase, like I just said, loves Mike Pouncey. All right. So Kiko Alonso, we haven't talked a lot about, and he had a huge game against the New England Patriots. And we've been giving Kiko a lot of crap lately. A lot of fans have been giving him a lot of crap for playing terrible. And the coaches have tried defending him by saying that he's doing more than he needs to do, which is why he seems so much out of position. Now, Kiko Alonso, 
85.1 overall PFF grade. He led the team with four run stops and did a solid job in coverage, limiting big plays, allowing 47 yards on the night, 23 of which came on the one Rex Burkhead catch. Now, the Dolphins played man coverage most of the night, sometimes slipped into zone. Houts, do you think Kiko's success had something to do with the Dolphins playing man coverage? And if so, first and long asks if Matt Burke should stick with man coverage against Buffalo. All right. Well, let's start with the first question. I, I think I think Gronk being out, I mean, I know I said earlier that that wasn't going to change the outcome of this game. I, I don't believe it would have. But if you're not telling me that Gronk was in there, he would have carved Kiko Alonso's ass up. I, I'd have to disagree with that. I think Kiko Alonso benefited from that suspension, as any team would have. But and And – Kiko, he's just one of those guys who, I mean, he struggles in coverage, whether it's man zone, whatever it may be. He's just not as good in coverage as he is against the run. So I think the Dolphins may have finally found a way to kind of uh, disguise that, try not to be so vulnerable in the middle of the field. Should continue to play, man? I absolutely believe so. I mean, we saw last week uh, against or a couple days ago against New England. I mean, they played lights out. Uh Patriots receivers were getting no separation. I think their leading receiver heading into the third or fourth quarter was our freaking running back. So, I mean, uh, you definitely would like to see him continue to play man. And you, as I said earlier, you just wonder why they haven't done it more throughout the year because even without Tankersley, this team balled out. And that's the way I want to see the secondary. And that's the way I think we'll continue to see him going forward, especially against Buffalo. All right, so the Miami Dolphins have the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo this coming Sunday. Temperature right now looking like it might reach the 40s. Doesn't look like there's going to be snow. Then they travel to Kansas City the week after and then finish out week 17 at home versus Buffalo. The Dolphins need to really win out to have a legitimate shot at the playoffs. They can still get in with eight wins or eight losses and eight wins, of course. But the road becomes much tougher. going to have to depend on a lot of different scenarios playing out and a lot of them being upsets uh, over the next three weeks. So Dolphins win the next three, of course, one game at a time and hope the Titans lose two of the next three. How it's, uh, and anything you want to add before we head off this week for Finsider Radio? No, nah, man, go Dolphins. Beat, beat the Bills and keep this playoff, these playoff hopes alive because that's all I think any of us want for Christmas. Week 15, uh, the Dolphins are still in playoff contention. We're still sitting here talking about the playoffs as a legitimate chance. I'll take that every single year. Uh, I'm switching through channels tonight before we came on the podcast, and – I see basketball all over the place. I'm not a huge basketball fan, but that just means that football season is almost done. So you're right. Enjoy it while it's here because we're all going to be yearning for it in May and June and July and the dog days of the summer and spring. And we're just going to be, you know, wishing it was back. So enjoy it. The Dolphins have a shot in week 15. They're not out of the playoffs. Their season is not done like many other teams in the NFL right now. Um, It's going to be a heck of a ride over the next three weeks. They start this ride at Buffalo on Sunday. For Houtua and certain the soccer dad, the creepy soccer dad, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio, and we'll talk to you next week. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old. 
like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.